Did you know a young boy drowned here? He was my son. And today is his birthday. You won't believe my parents' cabin. Here we are. Very nice, huh? Just get your ass to the sister she's gone missing have you seen her she ain't missing she's dead people go missing around here they're gone for good Hey everybody, this is Brandon Ford and welcome to the Blind Rage Podcast. We are celebrating Friday the 13th with Friday the 13th. And unfortunately, it's the 2009 remake, a movie that a lot of people seem to enjoy, but I can't see why, as you'll hear in the commentary track. Now, this is a commentary that I recorded several months ago. I can't even tell you exactly how long it's been collecting dust on my hard drive, but I figured now is as good a time as any is to get it out. So I hope you enjoy and I hope it's not too dated. So, you know, I might make some references to things that are supposed to happen or have recently happened or, you know, But, yeah. Like I said, I recorded this a while back. So, before we get into the commentary, I would like to encourage you to please check out my books on Amazon.com. By typing in Brandon Ford, you'll find my titles in both paperback and Kindle editions. You'll also find my author page with all of my in-print titles. If you prefer audiobooks, you can check me out on Audible. Just by typing in Brandon Ford, I have, as of the as of this recording, ten projects up. 
Um, speaking of, uh, as of this recording, my latest book, which I should have plugged at the very beginning, is He Wore a Leather Jacket. It is currently available in paperback and Kindle, but I'm hoping to get an audiobook version sometime before the end of the summer, or perhaps early fall, fingers crossed. If you don't already, please follow me on Instagram at writer Brandon Ford. You can also follow me on Twitter at Brandon Ford. You can also follow me on Letterboxd at Brandon Ford. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, critiques, suggestions, criticisms, recommendations for movies you'd like for me to do commentaries for, please feel free to email me directly at blindragepod81 at gmail.com. And lastly, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Rating is very important, as is reviewing, but rating definitely helps with the algorithms, and it only takes a few seconds just to tap, tap, tap on your smartphone. You literally got to do three taps and you're done, you know. It's, it's, uh, I'm trying to think of things that take a lot longer to do that aren't disgusting. Um, but I'm coming up short. So I'm just going to encourage you one last time to please, please give me a vote. All right. As per usual, we're going to begin with a three count. So... I hope you have your movie queued up if you're watching along, because we are going to begin in three, two, one, play. Much like the commentary for Slumber Party Massacre 3 that I did not too long ago, I just, I have this feeling like this, this is going to get fucked up. This is, this commentary is going to fuck up somehow something's going to happen that is going to make all of my time wasted and the commentary disastrous and unusable but when you're doing the remake of Friday the 13th it's kind of like first of all what are you doing with your life what kind of choices are you making and what does it matter? I I don't know. Some people really like this movie. And I don't know why. And... I saw it maybe once. When it first came out in 2009. And I don't remember... I didn't remember anything much of... Anything about it, really... And the only reason why I own it is because it came in the Friday the 13th tin. I don't have the new fancy schmancy Scream Factory tin. I have the one that Paramount put out. This opening is so fucking bad. You're the last one with the experience. I've killed all the others. 
it's so it's so bad it's so poorly acted it's so poorly written it's so obviously expository and it's just it's clearly trying to squeeze as much in in as little time as possible as far as the um, representation of Pamela Voorhees because, you know, they clearly didn't want to make this a true remake of the original. They wanted to make it a remake of the first four movies, which I don't, I don't get and I don't see, and I'll get to that later. But the only thing that really makes me feel bad about hating this movie as much as I do is the fact that Derek Mears really seems like a nice guy. He seems very personable in interviews. I've never met him, but he he seems like a genuinely good person. And... I can't really say that I enjoyed his portrayal of Jason, but I'm also not going to stroke Kane Hodder's oh-so-hungry ego either. Okay, we got the opening titles out of the way, and now we're going into a scene... That is probably one of the most unnecessary, or sequence rather, one of the most unnecessary sequences in slasher movie history. These kids are simply set up to fuck and to die. That is it. And there any character development well there really is no character development with any of them except for Whitney and you don't really care about Whitney or at least I don't but anything that is revealed about the characters is unnecessary because they die literally within the first 17 minutes of the film all of them this is, this is probably the first movie that I've seen where you're set up with an ensemble who you think is meant to be the main character, the main cast, and then they all die. Well, except for one. And it's kind of like the Janet Lee. In Scream, uh, Drew Barrymore in... No. <laughs> Genuinely in Psycho, Drew Barrymore in Scream thing that people are so fond of referencing for some reason. I don't know. but people, I, I hear that in podcasts a lot. People talk about that pretty regularly. Um, but, you know, it, it was interesting at the time. But now it's it's kind of played out, and who cares about Scream anyway? Not me. I do know there is a fan base. I don't understand why, but there is. And again, 
I know that there is a fan base for this movie. I don't understand why, but there is. And... This... All this exposition here through the dialogue could have been in the dialogue of the main characters. But really, all they're set up to do is party, be brainless and obnoxious, have gratuitous sex, and then die. Although, I think the characters in the opening have more sex than those in the rest of the film. And the only point of reference I can think of where you're introduced to an ensemble, not a main, not one character, not a solitary character, but an ensemble who you think are going to be the main members of the cast only to have them die at a certain point is death proof. But they die within a, uh, probably about an hour into the movie, give or take, and I like the movie. I like Death Proof a lot, actually, but I do think it's kind of strange the way they devote so much time to these characters, or Tarantino, rather, devotes so much time to these characters, only to kill all of them off in grisly fashion. But we do get, we are introduced to, uh, what is it, five more girls? Four or five more girls? Who I think are introduced to be, who are introduced later because they are the villain's match. It's like, you know, first you see what he's capable of with girls who are less strong and then girls who are fearless. So there, there's something there. This, it's purely pandering to the audience with the nudity, with the sex, with the nonsensical dialogue. And then you have the title card 17 minutes into the movie, which is so bizarre. And if you have to have this high opening title or opening sequence with these idiotic characters who, oddly enough, aren't as idiotic as the characters in the main movie but if you're going to have an opening sequence like this because you have to have the Whitney character because you have to have her brother and by the way if your main name in a movie is Jared Padalecki you're in trouble that's all I'm going to say. Um, but yeah, I think what should have been done is 
Whitney and her boyfriend should have had maybe a 10-minute sequence. First of all, okay, if this were me, if I were putting the movie together, if I were writing the movie, which I would never do because this is pure nonsense, all of it. And Platinum Dunes really needs to just swish away. But anyway, um, what I would have done is first, I would have put the Friday the 13th title card after that idiotic opening with Pamela Voorhees and the final counselor and, you know, Pamela's beheading and the whole that shit with the locket. Oh, God. Really, Night Ranger? Seriously. Okay, anyway. All, all this is, is pandering. It's padding. It's stupid. Um, what I would have done, anyway... I would have put the I would have put the title card after that stupid mess of a scene with the beheading of Pamela Voorhees that is there just because well I don't even know if I would put it there because it's really unnecessary you could have just because these the writers are so fond of expository dialogue could have just opened the film with a 10-minute scene involving Whitney and her significant other. I don't know. They had they had to have this whole, uh, we're going into the woods in search of weed so we can sell it, which um, was done in the Chainsaw Massacre remake also by Platinum Dunes and also involving Michael Bay. And well, I think it is the same director, too. But they went, they originally went to Mexico to get a pinata full of weed to sell. And then they were going to the, um, what was it, Leonard Skinner concert on the way home. I, I don't, I don't, uh, okay whatever but you got that you got this and i know there's another one i can't remember what it was but i remember thinking to myself okay this plot device involving characters who are on a search for weed to sell is getting to be a little contrived a little derivative I, can't, I I really wish I could remember what that other movie was, but I I think it's something that came out around this same time or a year or two after the fact. But Chainsaw did it first, at least to my recollection. And then you got this and you got the other movie, whatever it is. But anyway, I... Um, so yeah, I might not, if it were me, I might not... Uh, have even used that opening scene with the beheading of Mrs. Voorhees because it's so poorly done. It's so rushed. It's very, very badly acted. And the writing is just so in-your-face exposition. Especially with, you're the last one. Um, 
So it's kind of it, it's kind of reminds you of like a uh, a radio drama or something. But I wouldn't even put it there because they do talk about what happens to Mrs. Voorhees later in the movie. So what the hell do you even need to show it? I would have opened the movie with a camping scene with Whitney and her significant other where they talk about the legends of Camp Crystal Lake and 10 minutes, no more than 10 minutes where uh, they talk, they, they see the sights and uh, I guess she has to get the locket because the locket is so fucking important not really, but, and I don't, and I think this whole thing with them in the cabin where Jason, they find Jason's little boy bed, it's, it's, just, it's just dumb. The whole, this whole, there's no better way to describe it other than dumb. It's stupid. It's written by the same minds who wrote Freddy versus Jason. That's all I'm going to say. Oh God! And there's a there's a very similar sex scene where the two characters are talking about climaxing together. So, so you got two, you got two, not one but two. Um, shit! I meant to look up something. I meant to look up Willa Ford. No relation. But I meant to look up Willow Ford because... Oh, shit. Let me finish this thought first. And this whole, uh, come on, this isn't funny. And I know that we're paying homage to a movie that... Oh, Jesus. I know we're paying homage to a movie that began that whole slasher movie trend and these are all slasher movie tropes. So you kind of have to have them in, kind of, or you could try to do something different. But anyway, I would have gotten rid of the whole Jason cabin, the Jason little boy bed. Uh, I don't know what I would do with the cab, with the locket, because it's it's not a very interesting plot device. Again, neither is the is the uh, cabin, and neither is the scene where he's in a crawl space in that same cabin and he's ripping through the floor. Um, I didn't like that. I know that that was an attempt or a stab. At originality, but I don't think it worked, or at least it didn't work for me. So you got 10 minutes. 10 minutes of expository dialogue, 10 minutes of setting up the two characters, title card, then we move on to the main group. Boom, we're done. And then we introduce Jared Padalecki's ass or whatever. Um, trying to, you know, play this, the only, the only thing that, um, I think helps his performance is his voice because it's different than, it, all right, I admit, 
I did watch Gilmore. I did watch it, and I did enjoy it at the time. Would I go back and revisit it? Do I have any desire to see what happened after or, or when um, the uh, Netflix reboot? No, I don't. Um... Um, but yeah, from what I remember, he looks a lot like he does in the show with the longish hair, tall, skinny, and his voice changed considerably. And to the point where when I down, the only reason why I'm doing this, by the way, this commentary is because I found the audio described version on audio vault which is the source that i'm using to do the commentary i'm going to have the clean audio that i ripped from the blu-ray in the background of this commentary but yeah while i'm recording this now i'm listening to the audio described version and i listened to it first a couple days ago because i didn't i wanted to have a bit of a refresher because it had been so long since I'd seen this nonsense. And I did see it at a point where my vision wasn't great. So there was a lot that I'd missed. And I wanted to be certain that I knew what I was talking about to a degree. And yeah, I knew that or I remembered that Jared Padalecki was or played the character who had the missing sister. And for some reason, I thought he was in the group. The uh, main I thought he was in. I forgot about the, the group who are all killed off at the end at the beginning, rather, which goes to show you how much of an impression this movie made on me initially. But I didn't have any recollection of him being like, you know, this loner drifter character who is on a motorcycle handing out flyers to random people or and asking or and wrapping doors, showing a picture of his sister and saying, have you seen her? Um, I just thought he was one of the the morons basically and not that his character is above any of the cookie cutter characters who are in the main ensemble but he's definitely not a part of them Oh, this is... I, f I thought that the whole floor-ripping scene was later. But I guess it's now. I... Because, again, I'm not watching the movie. I'm just listening to the audio and the audio-described version. I know that we revisit this stupid little fucking cabin that is Jason's lair later on in the movie and I'm wondering if the floor is ripped up still my guess would be no 
I, I can't say with any certainty, but I would assume that there would be some severe continuity error errors regarding the floor being torn up because I just I can't imagine them having the characters or who 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 was it I think it's Jared Padalecki's character and one of the girls they go into the cabin and um yeah uh I can't imagine them like tripping and stepping into the holes that were made when Jason ripped up the floor I I can't imagine that so what else did I want to say? I had another thought that I was trying to get out. And I, all this stuff, I don't know. The bear trap is nasty. I will say that. And the only other time that I can recall a bear trap used in a slasher movie is in Sorority House Massacre 2. And I thought that was a lot more effective, to be honest with you, for a micro-budget movie that was pure TNA slasher slasher fodder. I thought, I thought, and the actress who got the bear trap or stepped in the bear trap was a porn star and I thought she pulled it off better than this actor and we're only six weeks later okay by the way I keep forgetting to say this but the audio described version is like seven seconds seven or eight it's somewhere between seven and nine there's a difference between seven uh, there's a difference between the the Blu-ray version and this version, and it, the difference is somewhere between seven and nine seconds, which is hardly anything that will f- um, fuck me up as far as referencing what is on screen and what has happened and what is going to happen. So I'm not even going to sweat that. Um... One thing that I have to say, um, one thing that I have to say about um, my second viewing, uh, or yeah, my second viewing of the movie, which was recently, um, the Chewy character was not as annoying as I remember him being. I'm not saying that I enjoyed his character. I thought he was obnoxious and I couldn't wait for him to die again. But the first time I saw it, I found him to be insufferable. And I think that the change of heart probably had something to do with not my not being able to see the movie and just listen to his obnoxious comments and have an audio described voice tell me that he is climbing into the back of a trunk and pulling the lid closed whoopity fucking do you're so whimsical and by the way speaking of him the actor I read that um while they were 
or yeah, around the time that the movie was in production, he had appendicitis and have surgery. It must have been major surgery because he had staples. And, you know, he couldn't do, they had to wait to do some of his scenes because he couldn't do anything strenuous. Um, my guess would have been, you know, use a double, a stunt double that might have worked. But apparently, no, they had to wait. Um, but also, according to what I read, when he is strewn upside down, the director made it, um, made his, his, his staples visible. Like, I guess to add to the realism and to add an extra, you know, little gory whatever. But a healed wound does not spell fresh kill to me. So I don't, I don't know what the fuck that was supposed to be. It, it didn't make any sense. And also, I, will, I'll get, I was going to wait on this, but I will, I will get into it now. Because, yeah, they're, they're really, I mean, <laughs> we're talking about a Friday the 13th movie, so, you know, there, there really isn't a lot to, as much, and, and, you know, I do, I am a, fr a fan of the franchise, of the original franchise, with the exception of the New Line films. And as much as people hate part five and as much as people hate part eight, I really enjoy them both. I enjoy five more than I enjoy eight, probably because five is so fucking sleazy since it's, it's you know, it's directed by a porn director. So there you go. And then you look at his other movie, another movie that he did, Savage Streets, which is a bit sleazier, but, you know, you still got that sleaze factor. And he seems mighty sleazy, or he did in the interviews that were included on the Never Sleep Again documentary and the Crystal Lake Memories documentary. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, this was... I don't know. I... When I... I didn't see the movie right away, but I did correspond with some friends who had seen it before me and gave me their thoughts. And some of them were very positive and some of them were very negative. And those who really enjoyed it said that they enjoyed it because it wasn't a straight remake of the original, but it was a mishmash of the best moments of parts one through four and they thought that was fun okay i don't remember anything in parts one through four about a girl being hung in a sleeping bag over a fire i don't remember anything about um a girl being stabbed in the head via the uh, cracks in the slats of a dock. I don't remember a girl being hit by a speedboat. I don't remember uh, anything about a locket. I don't remember anything about Jason's lair. I don't remember a little boy bed. 
I don't remember a lost sister. I don't remember weed plants. I don't remember what else. Let's see. I don't remember... I think there might have been an axe throwing at some point. I don't remember any bongs. I know that. I don't... Um, I don't remember an underground lair where Jason was. And I don't remember Jason having uh, a, um, oh God, it's so fucking windy here and it's so cold and the wind chimes are going absolutely insane. And I really, really hope that you guys can't hear that. But yeah, and there's no, there's, I can only imagine the re the reaction of people in theaters when they saw that dumbass scene where uh, the one guy, I think it's Chewy, but I could be wrong. I probably am. Uh, gives him the, uh, the hockey stick and says, this will complete your outfit or whatever. It's so dumb. But I, I would think that that will be something that a large audience would eat up with a spoon, much like the audience that I saw Freddy versus Jason ate up the scene where Kelly Rowland calls Freddy an F-bomb. Um... And... I think I probably talked over it, but, or it didn't happen. I think, it, nah, did it happen yet? Where he goes and he meets the guy with the wood chipper. And he, he's, he's, he's kind of aggressive. And then he's more docile. And then he tries to sell Jared Padalecki's character some weed and then he gets aggressive again when Jared doesn't want the weed and he like gets mad at him and he calls him a fucker. And, and it, I don't, uh, uh, there, there's some, there's a lot of continuity issues as far as the, um, the, the M, the, not the MO, the, um, the, the characteristics of the characters, the personalities of the characters, because they're they're not consistent, really. And I uh, I ran down a pretty lengthy list, I think, of the things that are in this movie that I don't pretty sure are not in parts one through four. I think I've seen them enough to know to know. Part four is a is a fan favorite. It was always my least favorite in the Crystal Lake to Manhattan films. I don't know. I always found the the movie to drag. I I thought it was a very very slow burn. I thought there was too much padding, and I even when things. Uh, pick up as far as the killing goes and Jason you know really starts to have at it 
I wasn't even all that. I was never, I'll watch it. I'll revisit it, you know, because it's a Friday movie and I, I'm fond of having marathons, but it's, it's not really one that I care for. I never even really got a kick out of Crispin Glover's god-awful dancing. The only thing that I thought, the only, the only thing that I thought uh, was creepy Oh, here's the scene with the wood chipper. The only thing that I thought was really creepy about the, uh... Oh, shit! I just fucking remembered. Yeah, that's right. There is... That character is in part four, where he's trying to find his sister. That's... That is right. I... I stand corrected. I was wrong on that one. But it's not... It's not, I think that I, I forgot about that, A, because I don't really like part four once again, and B, his whole character is not really defined by his quest for searching for his sister, because he, he befriends some of the other characters, and he becomes something more than just... I'm here to find my sister and to ask every single person that I come across if they've seen her. Wait. Yeah, what the fuck was that? Fuck your shit up, boy. Good times. Fucker. Why? Are you mad because you didn't want to buy? Because you didn't want to buy or... I, I don't know what that was. Um, but yeah, that I I can't believe that I fucked up with that. But yeah, there's a missing sister. And what I was going to say was one of the only things that I did find unsettling and creepy about part four was the scene where that character, whose name I can't remember, is being killed in, in the basement by Jason. And he has that um moment where he's he's trying to tell the the girls to run and he's of course there's going to be a dog uh a dog barking in the background not in the movie but he tells the girls to run and he's screaming he's killing me he's killing me that that is creepy um and i think they tried to rip that off a bit in uh the remake of the Toolbox Murders, I, because there's there's a scene that's sort of sort of similar with Adam Girish's death. It's not again, it's not necessarily on the nose, but it it it's reminiscent, I think. Um, another thing that I want to say about this this particular movie is you have this whole thing set up with the character with the camcorder and the camcorder is used as her accessory basically her primary accessory she uses it to document nothing essentially until she fucks the one guy and yeah she's aiming it right now at at clay um 
you know, I guess she got the, uh, she brought it along to, ca- for, what's that word? Um, I can't remember it right now, but there's a word, posterity. She brought it along for posterity to capture, you know, their little vacation. and But if you have that as a plot device, you got to bring it back and use it for something to do with either her death or the death of a main character. For example, um, and this is just off the top of my head, and I know it's not a particularly original idea, but then again, neither is this movie or much of what is in the Friday the 13th series. Um, but off the top of my head, I would say, um, mm, Chelsea, I think her name is the character of her name. It's like, oh, where the fuck is Chelsea? Where did she go? Oh, oh, look, here's her camcorder. Let's see what's on it. Ah, <sighs> there's her violent and grisly death. And there is blood and guts and tits spilling everywhere. Oh, no, poor Chelsea. That would have been the payoff for the camcorder. But, you know, it's just used to make a sex tape. And that's essentially it. Whoop-de-fucking-do. Oh God! I, I, I'm, I'm not a weed guy. Um, and I just, I hate when so much. You know, I don't, I don't have a problem with people who smoke weed. It's your life. Do whatever the fuck you want to do. I'm not gonna judge you for it. It's just not. It's not me. But I can't, I can't stand these, these movies where they're is so much importance placed on smoking or weed in general, not just smoking it, but yeah, it's smoking it and the obnoxiousness that ensues with smoking it and you got the bong, you have to have the pothead character. I've never seen Pineapple Express and I don't care to. I don't really, I don't, I never really like those kinds of movies. I've never seen, um, what's that other one? Dazed and Confused. I, I don't, I, I never, I don't like pothead movies, but I will say that the one movie that is sort of kind of a pothead movie, but is sort of not, that I really, really liked was Smiley Face, but. Mostly it's because of Anna Ferris. I thought she was hilarious in that movie. And yeah, I thought that was, was really funny. Um, other than that, pothead movies really don't appeal to me. And um, these fucking wind chimes are really going crazy. Anyway, um...
a manic. Oh, the another thing that I wanted to say was I didn't I didn't like the way they had to cram in not only Pamela Voorhees's um, bloodbath or the uh, the revelation that she butchered a bunch of people, but also they had to squeeze in Jason with the sack mask. And then Jason getting the hockey mask. So it's like they were really, really trying hard. And what I was trying to say before, the point I was trying to make, because I'm all over the place in this particular commentary. Um, but then again, I'm all over the place with every commentary I've ever done. And this goes way back to B-Movie Bonanza days, because I just can't stay on one track. That's just me. But... What I was trying to say was those who I corresponded with and spoken to about the movie and those who really appreciated the quote-unquote nods to the first four movies, it sounded to me like they were speaking about it um, as though they it was something they themselves noticed as opposed to it being something that was intentional. And from what I understand, it was intentional. So I don't really know what it is, what the point that I'm trying to make is. But I will say this. The Tylenol PM, which usually takes a lot longer to kick in, is kicking I don't know if it's because I've been yakking for so long or I've been yakking non-stop that I've been talking for longer than I feel that I have been that I have been and maybe you know it, it hasn't it's been longer than I assumed but I just hope that this commentary, maybe that's going to be my fuck up. Maybe the, the commentary is going to turn into incoherent gibberish. Or maybe it's not even recording at all. That could be a problem. And that has happened. There's Willa Ford. Um, and... Uh, uh, okay. I got... I don't like to to pick people apart physically because it's 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 just it's just bad form um and i wanted to do it in my commentary for the girl next door but i didn't and what i wanted to say was from what i remember about blanche baker was she looked pretty rough and it was also something that I noticed because she was the sister. I don't know if everybody is aware of this, but she was Molly Ringwald's sister in 16 Candles, um, the one who was getting married. But I did notice it in 16 Candles that she had a, a, a really, really bad, really obvious nose job and it doesn't go with her face at all 
uh, and it's it's very very obvious. And I didn't notice this uh, the first time that I watched the movie, probably because I really don't have any interest for obvious reasons. But supposedly, Willa Ford had gotten breast implants prior to the movie. And it was a botched job. And I was listening to... I think it was a commentary. Yeah, it was a commentary for... For the movie... Um, by people who pay more attention to those things. <laughs> uh, those kinds of things. And yeah, supposedly they're they're really bad. I I don't know. I can't comment. So but I don't know. I, but I speaking of Will Ford, I it was it was interesting to me and it was really weird because she for those of you who don't remember, if you're like millennials or whatever the gener the next generation up from millennial is a gen fucking Z or whatever. Um there was a a period between nineteen ninety-nine and two thousand one-ish when Britney Spears was at the height of her fame and there was basically a fact it was also you know at the time of boy bands where the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC were the reigning kings of boy bands at the time however that didn't stop certain record companies from trying to spawn endless streams of um, of boy bands, and a lot of them were one-hit wonders. A lot of them were non-hit wonders. The majority of them just came and went, and they also did the same thing with. It was also I noticed that there's 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 a lot of trends with um in music when it when one artist really breaks out it's like all the record companies are like oh wait hold up let me see if we can copy this particular artist's style and have some knockoffs basically and make a few extra dollars. I don't know if they do that so much anymore because there's really no money in music. But I think right before that, before the Britney Spears um, trend, there was the alter the female alternative singers trend, which began I think around the time of Sarah McLaughlin and then Jewel and Fiona Apple, and Joan Osborne, and uh, Alanis Morissette, of course. Um, so yeah, they just came one after another, after another, after another, after another. And then when Britney Spears popped, popped, ah, see what I did there unintentionally, um, 
we got Christina Aguilera, we got Mandy Moore, we got, um, who else did we get? We got Samantha Mumba, who was a blip on the radar. Uh, we got Willa Ford, we got, um, some artists or singers whose songs that I remember, but names I do not, but they were cranking them out, all these girls, and some of them had staying power, whether their careers were, uh, um, continued in music or whether they didn't like Mandy Moore she had some successful albums and then she went on to be a successful actress um and it's really weird by the way sidebar because she's younger than me and I remember when she first uh made it onto the music scene and she was like she was young she was like 15 16 and I was probably 19, 18, 19, yeah, 18, 19, and give or take. And now she's playing moms. She's playing the mom character. And she's she's still young. She's only in her mid-30s. She's, but she's younger than me. And that kind of makes me feel old. Um, I've been talking a lot about nonsensical or non, non-related things that have to do with non-related things to this, uh, movie, but, you know, this is Friday the 30th, 2009, so I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to expect. What what I do remember though when I when I revisited the movie in the audio described version the other day was that I kind of checked out by the third act. I just I didn't give a fuck. I think when I really started when I really checked out was when they discovered that Whitney was still alive. I was like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. I don't care. Um, which I will admit is a loop I did not expect to be thrown. I did not expect. Um, I did not expect. Uh, what's his name? Clay. I didn't expect him to find her. I did expect, I did, well, at least not alive. I expected him to find her remains. That's what I expected. And the fact that he found her alive really doesn't really make, I don't really think that it's, all right, all right, settle. Oh, they're, oh, they found her. So, we must be pretty far into this movie. I gotta check my iPod to see where we are. Where are we? Hold on. Oh, we're only 53 minutes. 
which means you've got like another, what is it, another 40 something? It's only like 97 minutes or something like that. By the way, too, speaking of this movie's running time, I think the only version that I've, I don't know, was the killer cut couldn't have been released theatrically because I'm assuming the killer cut was just an attempt at um, coming up with something original as opposed to just calling it the unrated version or the director's cut. Uh, I don't like it. I think it's stupid. But... I don't remember much of anything about the non... Well, I don't know what it was, what, what's in the non-killer cut because I did, I did check... Well, no, I didn't check all that hard because I didn't go to the alternate versions on the IMDb page. I did just go to the trivia section and there wasn't really all that much that was interesting. And I guess I really didn't care that much to go to the alternate version section because I didn't. Um, but usually they have a... No, I think I did. Hold on. Yeah, I did. I did go to the alternate versions section. And all it says is there is a killer cut which includes more sex and violence, basically. And that's it. Generally, if there is an unrated version, especially of a major film, which I can't believe this is, um, they will go through um, a list of what is included in the unrated, or in this case, the killer cut, um, and is not included in the R-rated or theatrical cut. Um, but they didn't do that because of, uh, I don't know, I guess they cared as much as I did. Um, I didn't, getting get to Jason for a second. Again, I, di- I can't really say that I cared much for, for Derek Mears' portrayal of the character, but... When I saw it again, my vision wasn't uh, vision wasn't great, so you can't really go by me. But uh, um, I think that they were trying to be. I think that they were trying to be original. I know this song for some reason. But I can't remember why. I think this must... No, TRL was over by then. And I definitely was not watching TRL in 2009. I think I was going to say... Yeah, I was fucking... I never finished my thought about Willa Ford. Did I? No, I didn't. But she was in that group. But she had one song. She had I Want to Be Bad. It was... A one-hit wonder. It was a song that I liked. Not, I didn't like it enough to buy her CD. 
but I, I did like it. And I think I might have downloaded it from Napster. This is how long ago this was. And then she disappeared. And I know that there was a lot of controversy between her and there was a lot of con controversy surrounding her, rather, because I, th I don't remember if it was true or not, but she was supposedly dating Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys when they were, you know, at their peak. And the, f the fans, the true hardcore, you know, 12-year-old girl fans were not happy about that. And they were spreading all kinds of shit and saying all kinds of nasty shit about her on the on the message boards and all that stuff and no i was not a fan of backstreet boys no i didn't visit the backstreet boys websites or any of that stuff the only reason why i know about it is because they did like some kind of a feature on her on some mtv show i think they gave her like a half hour special either that or they did a segment on trl Something like that. But I do remember them talking about it. And I do, again, I don't remember if she actually was dating Nick Carter or not. But the fans did not like the idea because they saw him as theirs. It must really suck to be the girlfriend of a um a, a major uh male teen idol especially a pop teen idol musician because if you have a girlfriend the fans will come for your throat but it it's funny because if you're a female teen idol and you have a boyfriend it's it's not, it's not the same. But I guess that has, that's probably because if you're a, um, <laughs> if you're a hardcore fan of somebody like Britney Spears or Willa Ford or Christina Aguilera or Mandy Moore or whomever, and you are an adolescent boy, you're probably not interested in any of those performers in a sexual nature. That's all I'm going to say. Um, this whole shit about her tits are stupendous, and your nipple placement is perfect or whatever it's it's an attempt at being funny and it's just not and this whole um these these scenes interwoven between other things it just goes on way too fucking long it's it's just too much and it's cut yeah it's intercut between fucking chewy dumbass Who's going to jerk off to a Sears catalog, supposedly, with a woman who is dressed from head to toe in uh, winter 
a sweater and jeans. Yeah, she's fully clothed, but he's going to jerk off to it. All right, whatever floats your boat. And who the fuck was still still got mail order catalogs in 2009? It's kind of like what I said in, what was it? I don't remember if it was the girl next door or another commentary, but, or a review of something, but it, it's kind of like these movies movies that cling to certain things that are clearly out of date for some reason and you like when I was talking about for example the uh, VCR via uh, NVHS being prominently displayed in like a family home like for example like in the movie Emily or in that movie Found that I talked about and I know that there are VHS collectors out there and I'm not knocking them in any way, you know, if 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 it makes you happy, cool, awesome. But having VHS or VCRs in the living rooms of suburban homes or family homes is not a thing anymore. We don't live in a time where a VCR is in every home. Therefore, we shouldn't have the average all-American family in the 21st century, in the second decade of the 21st century, having a VCR prominently displayed and we should not have characters renting VHS tapes from a video store in 2012, such as the case in that movie Found that I talked about. Oh, the stick curves to the left like your penis. Oh, but you're so funny. <laughs> and what... The, the, this kind of reminds me of um, there's an episode of American Dad where uh, the Francine character I think she kidnaps Roger For I don't remember the whole the whole uh, storyline but I think she kidnaps she kidnaps I think she kidnaps Roger and she gags him and then she says she says something like, first I was going to gag you with a spoon as sort of like an 80s throwback, you know, like gag me with a spoon. But then I thought, who's that for? Who am I doing that for? And it's kind of like, you know, it, what it was, it was meant to represent was that, you know, this isn't a TV show. This is real life to her. And so... Why would she be doing something to pander to no one? Um, but this, this, there's a lot of stuff with Chewie talking to himself and trying to make quote-unquote witty remarks to no one in particular. And it's just too much. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it's it's... 
it only adds to his annoying factor. And for some reason, too, I, I when I hear about people mention this movie, they seem to like Chewie. Why, I don't get it, but to each their own. I, I just, I couldn't stand him, and I couldn't wait for him to die. And he only just now died, and we have to be over an hour into this movie, which is a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, here we have the two members of the fucking, the fucking, uh, the two characters who are having sex, and they're talking about, um, climaxing together, which is, uh, again, used in the, um, in the, um, in the beginning. You know, what I... I don't. I can't say that I necessarily want to see it because if I wanted to, I would just watch porn. But you know, what is never done in slasher movies, at least in my experience, in my vast knowledge of the genre, and my um, and my uh, expertise, and my. Uh, and my um, experience with a lot of these movies, hundreds and hundreds of these movies. If you have an ensemble, and it's a body count movie, it's a slasher movie, and you know you have an ensemble, and you're again you're pandering to a certain to an audience who are who expect a certain kind of movie, and expect to see certain things. So, of course, they want to see a lot of nudity and sex and blood. So, what people don't realize is that the horror genre, in particular the slasher genre, has a pretty large gay following. There are a lot of really hardcore gay um, horror nerds. And I th- there have been some, I don't think that many. I think Hellbent was the first one that was a gay a, a slasher movie. And I think it was the first, uh, yeah, I think it was the first one. And unfortunately, it wasn't a good one. Oh, my God, speak sidebar. That's a movie that I wanted to do for the the podcast. I wanted to do a commentary because it's one that I haven't seen in such a long time because I did not like it. And I knew that the chances of finding an audio-described version were nil, but nevertheless, I wanted to find a copy of it. And, you know, I'm sure I could find the plot summary. But, yeah, there's there's no Blu-ray and the DVD goes for about 70 bucks. So, fuck that. And unless somebody has it and wants to send me a file... You know where to reach me. I only say my email address about a hundred thousand times. Um, but anywho, as I was saying, um, 
if you have an ensemble of, of characters in a slasher movie, why are they always all straight? And if there is a gay character, which I can't even... I can't even think of one. A movie where there is one gay character in an ensemble of... Uh, oh, God, take that, motherfucker. Really? Uh, that was one step ahead of trick-or-treat, motherfucker. Um, but, um, yeah. I can't remember one movie where there is at least one gay character. I think there might... I, I don't... I'm not saying that it's non-existent. But I'm saying that it's not prominent enough to be remembered. So the point that I'm trying to make is, and I'm sure that those of you who are still with me have probably already put the pieces together yourselves, but with all the gratuitous heterosexual sex in these slasher movies, and all, you know, these characters are always, as much as I hate to give Scream any sort of recognition because I fucking hate those movies. But yes, it, it is true. The characters the characters are set up to have sex and then die. And I don't necessarily think that initially I'm going to go off on another tangent here before I make my point. I don't think that it was in initially set up that way where it's okay, we have to have these characters have sex and then we have to have them die. I think initially it was set up and maybe Cunningham or somebody said, I got this from someplace, I don't remember. But I think that it was it was set up that way so that the characters could be distracted so that they could be killed um either during the act itself or after the act itself when you have the uh the fuzzies you know in the brain and you know you have the character saying oh well like in halloween for example where it's like i'm going to get a beer and, you know, Bob has to die. And then, um, uh, not Linda, whatever the fuck. I always forget her name. PJ Souls' character. Uh, um, uh, yeah, she's left alone. So she gets killed. But, and then you got, uh, the same, the same thing basically happens in Friday, Friday 7, which is another um, movie that just came to mind for some reason with um, Elizabeth Caton's character where her boyfriend or the guy that she fucks goes to get a beer or some shit like that and he gets killed and then she gets killed. So it's, it's the same thing. But okay, the point that I've been trying to make for the past 20 minutes is why are there no gay, gay couples um, on these trips or in these groups why are there no gay couples in the ensemble or why are there no why is there really never more than one gay character if there is any gay gay characters at all 
why can't there be a scene where two guys or two girls, whatever, um, are engaged in sexual acts and they get offed? Because that's something that really hasn't been done before. And if it has been done before, it's in a niche film like Hellbent where it is, you know, classified as a gay slasher. So it has to be a movie where everybody is gay, not just certain characters, which I think is a bunch of bullshit. And I think it's a case, once again, a case of people pandering to the audience because they expect to see certain things. And... It's also a case of um, people wanting to appeal or production companies wanting to appeal to a certain demographic who, you know, um, well, the acceptance for homosexuality has come a long, long way. We're, we still have we still have some some miles to go, huh? I I haven't been to church in a number of years because I'm a fallen Catholic, and I consider myself an agnostic. I don't know what I believe. I don't know. Uh, I think that there's a chance that there could be something out there, but I think I need a little bit of proof. Um, I don't want to just, you know, devote myself blindly to something that I don't know for a fact. Well, you know, not even for a fact, but again, some, some, some evidence. But anyway, um, my father goes to church. Uh, lately he's been going regularly. And regularly, he's been saying that the uh, Monsignor of our Catholic Church, I believe he's Monsignor of our Catholic Church, has been going off a lot lately on the um, the evils of homosexuality and quoting Bible scripture. Oh God! Did you really need to have that girly scream there? Um, that was very Mark Patton right there. So yeah, he's been quoting Bible scripture or scripture from the Bible to suit his fancy, because you know those who are. And I'm gonna get up on a soapbox for just a second here, but people who, um like to reference um, things that are written in the Bible uh, and not even just regarding homosexuality but abortion and things like that they only want to pick and choose things that are still true or what they think are still true There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that 
any rational-minded person would not uh, get behind. Um, but for some reason, there are still a handful of things that, you know, people say, oh, it's a sin. Um, you are a sinner and you are going to hell. I don't believe in what you do behind closed doors is what God would want. Fuck off and fuck you. I think that skewer thing was meant to be a uh, a reference to what was it, Friday Two, maybe. And um, speaking of Friday Two, uh, from what I read in some of the trivia for the movie, that um, I can't wait to go to bed. Time all PM is kicking my ass. Um, there's a wheelchair, and um, I think in one of these hallways that they're in, and there's also another set piece that is meant to reference uh, part two or part three. And if they really wanted to pay homage to part two. Um, instead of just having a wheelchair just sitting there, how about having a a character be a paraplegic? How about that? What about that? Because, you know, character, I mean, one of the main characters in part two was a paraplegic. And by the way, I think... With the... Excluding the... The New Line films. If if we're just going by one to eight, I think that that scene where the paraplegic is is killed with the uh, the machete in his head and the wheelchair is going backwards down the stairs is has to be in the top five nastiest kills in the series that was that was nasty it's like you look at that movie and it's like that guy's in a wheelchair what the fuck a wheelchair bike and hunting traps the bike could have been a reference to Ralph I don't know and I really don't care um Mining lights on the wall. Are we in my bloody Valentine now? What the fuck? Um. This tunnel. What is what is this? This is not Friday the Thirteenth. Mining equipment. What? What? Okay. And what? Why did he decide to keep Whitney hostage? I don't understand this. 
did he just keep her because she kept the locket? And he had her for six weeks? And was he feeding her? Was he taking care of her? Was he allowing her to use the bathroom? How was she surviving being chained as she is? These are things that you have to think about. And you have to consider when you're going to write a character who has been chained. Um, it's kind of like that House of a Thousand Corpses nonsense that I was talking about um, a couple commentaries ago. Where you had those cheerleaders who were kidnapped and kept in the bedroom of that stupid house that was supposed to be clearly the uh, fucking... Chainsaw Massacre House. Um, but they were there for 10 months. Who, what? How were they surviving for 10 months? What were they eating for 10 months? How were they going to the bathroom? How were they alive? I, uh, this shit is so fucking sloppy. And I can, uh, I'm starting to understand to a degree. <laughs> as much as I love these well, I don't love Rob Zombie movies. Let me just make that abundantly clear. But I, as much as I love these kinds of movies, I can understand why certain people thumb their noses up at them. Because when you have lazy writers like um, Rob Zombie and uh, the Shannon Swift... Shannon Swift sounds like a porn star. Um... The Shannon slash Swift writing team. Um, yeah, you, you don't end up with a, a very uh, credible product. Oh, you know what else I meant to say? That... I, I got distracted. My fuck. One would think that I'm like, uh, uh, I have ADHD or something like that because I can't. When I do these commentaries, and this is not a new thing, this is starting from way back in 2014 when I started to do B Movie Bonanza. I, I just, I tend to go off on tangents. I start certain subjects and then I veer off and then I forget where I was. And sometimes I f don't remember to go back. Or I don't finish my thoughts. I don't finish a thought before I go on to the next. And that is something I have to change. I need to work on that. But what I was gonna say, when I was talking about Derek Mears's portrayal of Jason was they thought you know I'd heard or I'd read or I, you know um bus there's a bus why is there a bus um I don't remember this part probably because it's totally irrelevant like the rest of the movie but they they were like I from what I'd read it was like oh this is a totally different Jason this is a Jason who runs after you this is a Jason you know who is more um 
he's he's more of a person and less of a uh, um oh god so there are some really fucking cringy one-liners toward the end of this movie and i just i just did it again but yeah he does he does run in the earlier movies he does run i believe i'm pretty sure i'm almost positive he runs in part 2 and he does run in part 3 although it is a hallucination when chris is in the canoe and he bursts through the door and he he runs after her so yeah he you do, you've seen jason run before um so it's not entirely original i don't i think the the really the most original thing about this portrayal of Jason is the emotion. Oh, and by the way, too, what I what else I didn't like about this was that they were trying to portray Jason as this tragic vic uh, victim, the tragic character, a victim who we were supposed to feel sorry for. Get the fuck out of here. Jason is not supposed to be a sympathetic character. Jason is supposed to be a character or not even really a character. He's supposed to be the zombified mutant you're supposed to root for to just kill more people. That's the basis of these movies. I think him climbing through the window, bursting through the window and going after whatever the fuck her name is, is meant to be a nod to part two. But still, I there 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 are some things that are I can I can see as nods to the first four films, but there's not enough. Oh god. This wood chipper scene when Jay when it turns around and it's Jason and the wood chipper, and um, <laughs> it's so stupid it's laughable when Whitney says, "Say hi to mommy in hell." <laughs> I if I had both hands free right now, I'm holding the uh, recorder, the mic. Um, I would be doing a sarcastic, a sarcastic clap. Oh God. It's okay. Oh, and this is, you know, this is clearly supposed to be the, the scene toward the end of part two with Amy Steele. You've done, you've done your job well and mommy is pleased, blah, blah, blah. But it, it doesn't really... It doesn't really do much of it. And I don't really think that he sees her as his mother. He just sees the locket. And I think it would have worked better had she had the fucking sweater. And I think the sweater is one of the things that is seen in the tunnel, too. In addition to the uh, wheelchair. 
until he gets the locket. I, it's so fucking dumb when <laughs> when they um, are on the dock, Clay and Whitney, and they throw the fucking locket in the ocean and it sinks in slow motion like it's the fucking heart of the ocean. <laughs> oh, here we go. Wait. Oh, get the fuck out of here. Say it to mommy in hell. Whoever wrote that line, whether it was Shannon or Swift, you both need to be slapped upside the fucking head. Man, Jason gets put into a wood chipper. And originally this was, I'm sure everybody knows, this was supposed to be an origin story. And then it became the, you know, a reimagining. Because a reimagining re was a, such a popular word in, uh, around this time. And this too. Didn't he get in the fucking wood chipper? So you're telling me he was in the wood chipper. He was probably, he probably gummed up the blades. And so they dragged him out and Clay carried him. Or dragged him all the way to the dock just to throw him into the fucking lake. Here we go. The heart of the ocean is is sinking to the bottom of the lake. Oh, this is so dumb. Um, the hockey mask lies at the bottom of the lake. I think... If because they were obviously trying to be so fucking uh he bursts through the wooden dock and grabs Whitney. I I what the fuck was Clay doing while that was happening, by the way? And what I was gonna say before I could lower this noise now on my ear since it's over, thankfully. But um, why he was, why Whitney was, you know, um, uh, basically uh, Nancy to Freddie, or, or was as was to Jason as Nancy was to Freddie. I don't know. I guess because she stole the locket, <laughs> whatever. Uh, and invaded his little lair, whatever. Um, but if they were going to do something as cheesy and stupid as, you know, have the, the, the locket get thrown in the fucking ocean, I think they could have been a little more dramatic and have it like, they might have, I don't know, I, I can't see it. But it didn't. Dis it didn't say. It said the mask la uh, lands next to some rocks. But if they wanted to be dramatic, they could have had like the locket, <clears throat> the locket land right next to the mask. It's like, Ooh, it's so heartbreaking. Because after all, we're supposed to see Jason as a victim. Huh? We're supposed to feel sorry for him. Get the fuck out of here. Shove this movie up your ass. Fucking. Fuck. 
I am more angry about this movie than I am about House of a Thousand Corpses. And that is mind-boggling to me. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I need to get some sleep. And I need to wrap this up. So I want to thank you for listening to the bitter bitter end of this bullshit and I would really appreciate if you would rate just all you gotta do and I don't know why you gotta beg so many people by the way sidebar there are podcasts that I've seen on Apple that have been around for years and years and years over 10 years, some of them, and have a uh, a pretty decent following, and they only have, they have less than 20 ratings. And there's one that's been around for three years, four years, that only has one rating. I mean, what, what, why? Why, why is it so hard to just hit the drop down and hit, and do a, Hit a star rating, even if it's not five stars, even if it's one star. It affects the algorithms, and it makes your podcast more prominent. So why is it so difficult for people to do that? I don't understand. But I also shouldn't be coming at your throats because I do appreciate you listening and checking out the podcast. So really, I should just be saying thank you and moving it along. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm going to say thank you. And I'm going to move it along now. And that little um, outburst was the Tylenol PM talking. Please remember that. Uh, yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And please join me again for uh, a future feature length and television episode commentaries and check out the back catalog on the uh of b move uh, mm, of the blind rage podcast where there is a slew of old b movie bonanza commentaries in addition to the new stuff that i've been recording as of late so yeah i guess that's about it so i want to wish everybody well i want to say thank you again and I want to wish everybody, as always, unpleasant dreams.